0: You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélie Mautier, and I'm here today with Florence Broderick. Sorry, I'm pronouncing your name in very, in a very French way. Florence, uh, VP of Marketing at Carto. How are you today, Florence?
1: I'm good, and I like the exotic pronunciation. I'm uh, surviving lockdown, and as I don't have kids in the background, probably doing better than you. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. If you are screaming, don't worry, it's just normal. They do that a lot. So today we will be, we will be talking about marketing as a revenue driver, which is a, a great topic. But before we get into the conversation, could you please tell us a little bit more about yourself, Florence, as well as Carto, the company that you represent, and what you do for them?
1: Absolutely. So um, I am based in London, uh, working for Carto, who have offices between Madrid, Seville, New York, D.C., uh, although nobody's in an office right now. And it doesn't look like we're going to be back in them anytime soon. But I lead marketing and sales development for the company. Um, and our software is for location intelligence. So if you think about all of the businesses out there today, so much of their decision making revolves around location, particularly in this new normal that we're living in. So we help different customers turn geospatial data into some kind of business outcome. So whether that's McDonald's deciding where are they going to put the next 10 curbside pickup locations in London, or whether that's a healthcare company understanding how they can improve healthcare access for customers who need to have special doctors closer to their, their houses, for example. Whatever position it is, it's related to location, and our software helps customers with that.
0: Oh, so really, really use case driven type of uh, selling, I guess, because it's uh, very specific to the industry and what they could do with the software, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the use cases are very interesting. I mean, our, our sales team can go from a call with a growing cannabis firm in North America who are looking to try and understand where they should put new dispensaries to, in the next call, suddenly be talking to the New York government about overcrowding in metro stations during COVID-19 and how our software can help them with that. So. Yeah. very diverse and interesting.
0: Someone needs to give you a call for uh, vaccination stations.
1: Well, <laughs> right.
0: So, so you could get, we, could, we could get that job.
1: Well, we are actually working on some use cases in those lines because the interesting challenge there is the fact that it's got to be transported cold. So understanding both timing and location in the context of supply chain is a common use case for some of our logistics customers.
0: Very interesting. Well, that's great. So, so, so to deep up a little bit in the, in the topic now, I guess, you know, in the past, a long time ago from my perspective, because I think we, we took the shift ages ago uh, at Operatics, but marketing was often associated purely with branding, PR, communication, you know, and, and maybe not the revenue generation generating type of things and more like the I guess the fluffy, and I'm going to put that into bracket because you know even back then when when marketing was doing all that, it's not really the fluffy, but you know it's what I used to call it, so there you go um, and, and and obviously this, these days are in the past now, uh, and we see we see marketers really taking the driving seat, having a big contribution towards sales target and and making direct impact on companies' growth, development, international product development so First of all, you know, what are your thoughts on that shift?
1: Yeah, I think it's a really important shift. I certainly haven't been a marketer in companies where there's that perception of the marketing function, but I do know that there's still a lot of that out there in more traditional industries. You know, tech is probably an exception compared to some, but there was an expression I heard from a a lady who was actually a, a recruiter for CMOs in tech companies across the US. She still is. And she said that she's always looking for make money marketers rather than make it pretty marketers. And I love that expression because I identified with it. And I thought, you know, the the key and most important thing when you're hiring marketers is that you find people who are going to have a level playing field with the sellers in your company. And if they go into a a meeting with a lead tomorrow, they should be able to pitch Carto as well, handle objections as well, uh, talk about your value proposition as well. They shouldn't be hiding behind, you know, HubSpot, outreach, all the all the tools. They need to be customer-centric and understand those problems just as well and be just as familiar with the different numbers relating to the sales cycle. So whether that's average deal size, length uh, of the sales cycle, customer lifetime value, customer uh, customer acquisition, you know, all of that, we have to be as familiar with that as marketers as sales leadership would be. So, you know, I think it's an important shift and... Finding high-quality marketers in in the market right now who who align with that is not always easy. I think the amount of times I see or people reach out to me or I see on the Revenue Collective, people looking for a VP marketing, or product marketing manager that has this philosophy, it's really tough to hire people just because it's a limited pool of talent. And in certain markets, you know, a lot of our hiring we do in Spain, and there just isn't a huge B2B SaaS industry. It's not like the U.S., or perhaps like UK that has a bigger market. So um, it's an interesting shift.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that. I mean, obviously over the years, we, we've had the opportunity to work with some brilliant marketers, you know, the people have been moving from companies to companies helping startups to really scale. And I think what really always amazed me when I was in meetings with those people is that, as you said, they could pitch the product with passion, like a salesperson. I'm like, you know, you probably are better. I'm speaking about a few marketing persons that I'm, I'm speaking to. I just mentioned a couple of name guys like Tony Larks, who was at Tanium, but was a client before at Trend Micro. People like Scott Gordon, uh, who was at RiskIQ and you know, then moved to Pulse AQ and they, they just got acquired by IVNT. These are people that technically you almost want them to go to meetings because you know that they are speaking about their products with such passion. They know exactly. They can have a conversation with an analyst, with a technical person, with a C-level person. They adapt straight away, and they, and they're beautiful to witness because, you know, they really understand the product inside out. They really understand the challenges of the customers, which is very important. And and then I guess once you've got all that, it makes your life much easier to push account-based selling, account-based marketing type of activities, and also arming all your sales team. So from the SDR, BDRs to the the actual salesperson on the field with how to support them to get better, okay? Because I think it's particularly when you get into complex sales cycles like yours at Carto. I mean, I don't know how long it takes a salesperson to be able to adapt from a conversation around the cannabis dispensary versus you know, uh, uh, the, the, the jobs for COVID-19, but surely when you go to those meetings, you must be speaking with specialists that have a completely different perspective on how to use your software. And it doesn't become, it's not about car anymore. It's about being a chameleon that can adapt to their context versus thinking about your stuff. It's your, your stuff is just a facilitator of their issues, technically. And I, I really agree with you that I think marketing should be able to pitch, if not as well, technically better than sales. And they should be able to tell the story as well. Now, you know... What we've seen and and what we've been saying, and probably less over the last couple of years, because again, we've seen that shifting, but we always considered ourselves a little bit the glue between sales and marketing. And in the past, I've had a lot of experience where you could see like two silos. And, And I think in those two silos, we often saw marketing trying to work with sales, but sales being a little bit more reluctant to work with marketing. So that's kind of driving me to my second question. Do do you feel that sales teams are increasingly valuing more the marketing function, or do you think we still have the sort of silo uh, process?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things to mention here. I think, first of all, uh, the people thing we should never underestimate, and it's very good news if your VP sales and your VP marketing get on well. Uh, They align. If there's a clash there, I think that could be quite toxic. So I have a great relationship with both of our VP sales for North America and rest of world, and it's very easy to to plan things with them. But the bigger question here, and I think particularly in the context of this new normal, I said the words new normal, sorry, is the whole concept of is sales, science and art, how much of each is changing? uh, Because that whole factor of I go to the open data science conference and I end up at a party and I meet all these data scientists at the after party and, all of that's gone out the window and it doesn't look like short term, midterm that we're even gonna have it anytime soon. And so the science side of sales has ramped up immensely. So for example, if you looked at our budget last year versus the year before, the slice of the pie that went to external events has now moved across to lots of new digital tools. You know, we migrated to outreach, we started using G2 intent data, we're using a lot more Zoom info and Lusher for outbound prospecting. You know, we've really digitalize at a much more accelerated rate. And so that has been, I mean, typically all of that stuff starts in our SDR team. They are the kind of technology evangelists. Uh, they're, they're very young. They're very digital. They're keen to use all of these new tools. And the, the sellers who are now having to build pipeline in other ways to how they might have done it before are keen to learn about all of those new technologies as well because they've got a gap that they haven't got from their normal, you know, customer events as well. Yeah. So. So for sure, there's, it's a it's a big shift. And I think it's more relevant now than ever, because everybody's trying to get digital attention. And, you know, I think I get 12 SDR emails a day. And I'm always curious to see how they're going to cut through the noise and whether that's, you know, LinkedIn polls, Loom videos, direct mail, it, it works. And I think it, sometimes some salespeople will be a bit like, oh, this is all gimmick. I don't think I believe in it. But we, ha- we have to try these things because it's a new era for sales now and you need those evangelists within your company to push those technologies. And sometimes they won't work, but you have to try them.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, then, and then We see the way people are buying or are, are looking at getting their information is changing over time. You know, I was uh, I was on the Podcast, so I was having a conversation with someone who was telling me that I think it was, I, I can't really recall the exact number. So I can't quote, but the exact number, but a large portion of millennials uh, have been, that have been interviewed are saying, I don't want to engage in a direct conversation with a salesperson. person. You know, I don't mind being on the chat. I don't mind exchanging some text, WhatsApp messages. I don't really want to be picking up the phone and having a conversation with someone. So I think I think you know digitalizing does make sense, and 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 then when you digitalize, how do you make sure that you've got that red carpet experience, you know, and, and that's really important because that's probably the way the way things will go in the future, and it's uh, it's a, a never ending adaptation curve, and 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 COVID nineteen's been accelerating stuff. So everybody working from home, you know, we're doing that a lot in the U.S. Lots of people. Most of my Californian clients, when I call them and say, Look, I'm in California, can I come and see you? They're like, Oh, yeah, we, we can do cool. Oh, I'd just like to come and meet you in person. And It's, it's, a bit, it's almost so quiet there, but in Europe, it's kind of normal. You are in London, I'm in London, let's meet for a coffee, right? And I think, you know, I'm sure that will not go, but it, how do we adapt to it? Now, people, everybody will work from home. You see large companies like Amazon and stuff like that saying, Look, you just shut down the office. Everybody, everybody works from home now. People will get used to that. People will work more remotely. They probably will go countryside, bigger garden, you know, all that sort of great stuff, get more for their money and work from home. So I think it will, it will, it will change the way we cooperate with colleagues and the way we will have to sell to those individuals. It will have a different flavor, not only in the opening of the conversation, which is our stuff, uh, but, but also in the how do you get to close the deal. How do you influence people if you can't put them all in the same room? And that's going uh, to be interesting and, and, and also making sure that when people are doing their research online, they find everything they need to, to, to support you. So that, that, that's definitely one, one good point. Now, I guess next question I've got for, for you is, what do you think about marketers that are previous experience in sales? Do you think they would, they would perform better as a marketer or do you think a salesperson at a... The previous experience in marketing would perform better. I don't know a lot of salespeople who have a previous experience in marketing. I'm, I know a few marketers that have had a previous experience in sales, but I just wanted to get your opinion in terms of the, what, do you, what profile do you think would work best?
1: Yeah, I think, it's, I think actually when I was 22, the best advice I had, I was on a graduate program at Telefonica, and I asked one of my mentors about what I should do for my next rotation. On this program, and it was sales or marketing, and his advice was, go and do a stint in sales because when you're a marketer, if that's really what you want to do, you'll have a lot more respect from the sales if you've been in front of a customer, handled objections, handled rejection, all of the tough things that come with sales. And I think it was amazing advice because it it got me to be customer centric and oriented in a way that I might not have if I hadn't done that stint in sales. So I, I think it's amazing if you can have an organisation where people can actually see a development path into one or the other. So, for example, yeah. for our SDRs, we have a, a document at Carto that documents like their, their career path and the options they have, whether that's going into a CSM role, whether that's going into an account executive role. Our old SDR leader is actually a content marketing manager at Carto now. And I think that's really important because one can evangelize for the skills of the other in the team. So the SDRs that are going up into our sales team at the moment are the ones really helping the AEs start using sequences and outreach and starting to use these new technologies. So if you can, if you can have that great little circle of development, I think that's highly beneficial for the company. But it's, it's true, I haven't met many salespeople that have flipped across to marketing so far. I guess because if you're really good at sales and, and you're smashing your quota uh, economically, it may not make sense to go, to go into marketing for you at a personal level.
0: I think that's something that I've always seen. I've seen marketers working harder than salespeople. You know? and, and, and I think you know, in, in, a, in a way, uh, you, you'll see them you know, spending more time doing more things, having more stress around events and stuff like that, you know, big things to manage. If you're a salesperson, you, know, you pretty much have to manage yourself. You, know, you manage yourself, you do your stuff, and maybe may be one. But, yeah, if you are a good salesperson, the money is flowing. Mm-hmm. Where would you uh, why would you consider something else? But, but I, I agree with you. And in fact, you know, we we our marketing director, at operatics, is coming from you know doing the SDR role herself. So she was she was one of our SDR, and we've seen a few other resources that have been recruited by some of our clients to move to marketing role, and it makes sense. You know, you've got to be in the trenches to know what it is like, and and then you can you know how to address you know the challenges. And you know what, those people would need to be successful. So that, I think that makes perfect sense.
1: I hate how sometimes in the SaaS industry, you hear like a, a bit of a tone towards the SDR role, but I actually think it's the most important role in, in SaaS companies just because nobody is in front of more prospects than, than an SDR. You know, they've probably yeah. 5 five, ten times as many calls as an account executive or a CSM. And so I think it's actually really important that People raise awareness about how important it is and the possibilities uh, that there are for SDRs after finishing the role.
0: Yeah, I think we, we were speaking actually uh, with with one of our one of our friend, a guy called David Delaney, who's well involved in uh, in BDR and B two B sales and and all that sort of great stuff, and it's got a great company. And when we were speaking with him was like, look, well, I think that. BDR should be at the board. We should have a BDR leader. We should have a C-level BDR person, technically, or SDR person, or inside sales, or whatever we want to call it. But technically, a C-level senior development, a C-level business development person, sitting at the board. Because, like you said, this is such such an important function. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's the lifeblood of the business because obviously if you are a B2B software company, development is also very important. Having the right product is very important. Of course, marketing is critical. Having people on the field uh, that can close business is also very, very, very important. But all those SDR, the way they behave with your prospect will potentially influence your brand reputation. Okay, You want them to have the right level of conversation. And also it's about calibrating. You know, we work with a lot of startups and we spend our time, not really all our time, but a fair amount of our time to discuss about the voice of the customers. What are we hearing in the trenches? This is how we should change the message. We're focusing on that issue, but really the big issue that people are trying to solve is that one. So how can we change and adapt our message to solve the issue that seems to be relevant? Can we actually do a campaign about it? And by the way, here are the objections. And we have some clients that are great because we give them a list of objections, and what do they do? they go and create contents to actually tackle this objection very openly through content, which I think is great because if there is an objection, instead of trying to scoop it under the carpet or brush it under the carpet, you may as well put it in the open and speak about it and give your opinion on it. And all that would not be possible if we were just like kind of living on our own and not really providing feedback back to the top people. Uh, so yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and obviously, I'm, I'm a bit biased. Uh, yeah,
1: that's, that's really nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. but look Florence that, that, that was really good to uh, to listen to you today I think you, you share some really really good points I would like to uh, I would like to thank you for your time Um, if anyone wants to pursue the conversation with you or get in touch with you to discuss about Carto or anything else what would be the best way to get in touch with you Florence?
1: Yeah just uh, reach out on LinkedIn uh, send me a collection request or just drop me an email it's flo at carto dot com very easy one
0: there you go Well, thanks again. I would like to thank you for being a part of the podcast today and hopefully we'll speak very soon again.
1: Awesome. Great to chat. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening
0: to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.